Hi, this is Steve Knoll from Conley's Guitars, and you're listening to Bluegrass Jam Along, the podcast for anyone and everyone who plays bluegrass. My guest on Bluegrass Jam Along this week is returning, a previous guest we've had before, and we had such a great chat last time, and it threw up something I wanted to talk about again, and so he is back. I'm delighted to uh, introduce you again to Nolly from Collins Guitars. Hey, welcome back. Hey, Matt. It is my pleasure. <laughs> we had such a cool chat last time, back in July, um, and one of the things that came out of that was a conversation about uh, different woods and different sort of sources of wood. And so we were chatting after that, and it just thought it would be a really cool idea to talk about tone woods for guitars, um, what they do, how they work, why we use the ones we do, what the alternatives are, like how we might more sustainably approach that in future, because um, it's fascinating. But I suspect, maybe like me, people don't necessarily know as much about it as they'd like to. Um, and I think a great place to start is just to talk about you know, how a guitar works and what the wood contributes to that. Because I think most people like me think about top wood and think about back and sides and think about very little else. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll start. Stop me if I go too deep, but we'll just kind of start from the beginning of, I think we touched last time on, on every guitar, good, bad, indifferent is wood craftsmanship and design. And so today we'll talk about the wood, but but the magic of an acoustic guitar is every element on it, uh, including the wood, makes that guitar good, great, bad. And if you're off on one of those things, it changes. It's the sum of all of its parts. And so you have the neck and the body. Um, and then you have the next set angle. You have the bridge, which is the final brace. What's the bridge made of? How does it fit? Do you have bone nuts and saddles? Uh, how are your frets fit? What are your frets made of? What's the nickel silver content? All of these things. How thick are your sides? How deep are your sides? All of these things contribute ultimately to the sound um, of the acoustic guitar. And if you're if you're off on any one of those things, it radically changes it, and, and almost never for the better. Um, so that's all playing into the design. What we'll talk about today is based on. As a disclaimer, I'm just talking about my experience here at Collings with our guitars. Um, mileage may vary based on the builder and the braces, the type of braces, the angle of the braces, the placement of the braces, the thickness versus the height. All these things contribute to making the guitar sound different. So we'll talk about wood. And even there's a disclaimer when it comes to the wood, because if, when we're talking about Sika, there's some really heavy monster pieces and there's some really light pieces so we'll just talk about averages across the board based on my experiences here at callings um i am not the world's biggest expert i've done i was doing the math before uh, this started and i think i've done about 1200 tops and backs so i am not the world's authority on this but uh i know some things and so i'll take this for my opinion and for what it's worth, I can already hear the forums blowing up with some of the stuff that I'm sure to say or misspeak or whatever. But uh, so a guitar being the sum of its parts, woods being average across the board. I think that's a good the disclaimers out of the way. And that's a good place to start uh, when you're talking about do you want to go into like Adirondack versus spruce or go through all the different spruces? Um 
I think it'd be really cool to sort of talk about um, the bits of the guitar and what they do. So, you know, there are, okay. I think like largely we're going to be talking about Dreadnought style, you know, sort of traditional Martin style guitars because right. that's what most people play for bluegrass. And this is largely a bluegrass podcast. Um, but there's a very traditional approach. Like people talk about spruce tops. People talk about either mahogany or rosewood back and sides. And that's, you know, 90% of the conversation, but there's different kinds of spruce. And like, just from my point of view, I'd be really keen to know why spruce for the top, like why is, why is spruce become the standard? Uh, that's okay. Let's start there. Spruce uh, out of all the woods has the greatest strength to weight ratio. So it's very light and it's very stiff. Uh, for a top, you want it to be light and stiff because that allows you to get it thinner and that allows the top to shake. Um, Ultimately, a guitar is a very inefficient machine, an acoustic guitar, because you're trying to, all you're doing is plucking the string, and that has to couple to the bridge, to the bridge plate, to the top. Um, and if you, I don't know how deep you want to go, but the X brace on a guitar, which is the main brace, two braces that cross underneath your top, the wings of that X brace are on the wings of your bridge, typically. So, and that's on purpose, and that's so the guitar can pump and it makes it as guitar builders, we're trying to eke out every efficiency in the build as possible, which is why bone nuts are superior to plastic and, and on and on and on. People go into the glues they use to install frets. Like it never ends. You're always trying to make it more efficient at transferring that string energy into sound. So spruce is important for that because it's so light it has flexibility to it and it has a, a typically lower resonant frequency. Um, mahogany tops, when you're picking out a mahogany top, which is a thing, you're trying to find one that's light and crispy and mimics spruce in your hands. So again, mahogany is all over the board. You want, you don't want a heavy top because it won't move. You'll have a really doggy guitar. And so part of our job as guitar builders is to find the right piece Again, that's only part of it because you're going to brace it and then you have to voice the braces, but it all starts with the top. If the top's no good, it doesn't matter how you brace it. And so it, it, the sort of different types of spruce that are generally used, you've got Sitka, you've got um, Adirondack and, and Engelman, I guess, is the other one. Um, and it feels and like... All the more... Sorry? And all the European spruces too. Sorry. Yeah. The yeah. Germans, the Italians, the Carpathians. Yeah. Okay, and, and it feels like Sitka has become a bit of a standard. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I don't know if that's just because it's more available now or if it's just easier to work with or just better. Well, uh, so pre-war guitars, Adirondack was the standard. Um, and everybody stopped using it because it became, as a standard option, uh, because it became really scarce. They used a lot of it. The trees don't grow super fast and super big. Um, on paper, Sitka spruce, and on paper meaning Janka hardness, pounds per board foot, the wood database type paper, um, where they compare all different structural elements to different woods. On paper, they're very similar, almost the same. Um, in your hands, they're not. But Sitka became the new go-to because the trees are massive, so you have a lot of yield. Uh, it's great tone wood for a top. It's 
It's the right weight. It's the right stiffness. It looks beautiful when it's on the quarter and has the, that silking medullary raise. Um, it's really versatile. It's our standard option for our guitars. It's kind of the do everything really well top. Um, and if Adirondack trees were as big and plentiful as Sitka is, we probably wouldn't even be using Sitka. Um, so Adirondack is still available. It's a much more expensive option because of the scarcity. And what does that sort of do sonically or to, or to work with compared to Sitka? Uh, well, and again, we'll talk on average, but on average it has, it's hard to describe. It, it has more headroom. It's bigger. It's, it can be louder. The notes to me are a little rounder. It gives you a different, and we're talking degrees. We're not talking red versus green. We're talking red versus bad analogy. I can't think of another lighter shade. We're talking shades of color. Um, but the Adirondack has a different feel and a lower resonant frequency when you tap it. And so it gives you a little different response when it's boxed up and you're playing it. Um, Adirondack's very versatile, uh, but it is the gold standard. It has an immediate acceleration, note acceleration, lots of headroom. Um, as a builder, we love it because we can do what we want with it. It's very elastic and it'll go where we want to take it. Uh, I could never make an Engelman top sound like an Adirondack top. Maybe some people can. I can't. Engelman's very light and not very stiff. So as a rule of thumb, the lighter, softer woods are better for finger style type light playing. You'll have more overtones. You'll have less immediate attack. You'll have less headroom. The harder woods like Adirondack can really take digging into. Um, one of the drawbacks, if you want to call it that for an ad top or a red spruce top, uh, is it takes a minute to break in and really become a guitar because it is, they're tough. But they sound, I mean, you've heard them. They're, they're my favorite. And that's an interesting point about sort of breaking in time and how long something takes to get to the, that's sort of what people think of as a vintage tone. And maybe we'll come on to that later when we talk about sort of the sure. different ways people treat wood. Um, and then, the, you know, from a, a sort of dreadnought point of view, flat picking guitar, the, the classic back and sides woods are going to be mahogany and variations mm -hmm. of that and rosewood. Yeah. And, and what does, what does the, what do you need from the back and sides that is different from what you need from the top of, from, from a bit of wood? Uh, well, the back and sides, if you think of the top as, is how do I describe it? The top's moving. The back also moves and you want the back to move and you want to pair them. So they're working together and not against each other. Um, the Holy grail combo, especially for bluegrass guys is a Brazilian rosewood back and sides with an Adirondack top. Um, Brazilian went on CITES, I think, in 92. And so to use it, you have to have paperwork for the last 30 years. You can't use anything that was cut after that. Um, so immediately people, and it's very expensive. Um, but as a builder, it's a dream to work with. It smells good. The tap is incredible. Uh, it, it 
it's like playing a Collings. You sound like you're a better guitar player than you are. Brazilian just does everything for you. Um, it's gorgeous stuff. People started scrambling and still are to a large extent to find its replacement. Um, and I'm not saying it's better than mahogany. It's a different guitar than mahogany. We'll get to mahogany because mahoganies are my favorites, but we'll get there. Um, in that scrambling, there's been lots of, I can't tell you how many different species of Dalbergia or rosewoods that people have experimented with. And going back to the wood database thing, on paper, they're very similar, but in your hands, they're different. Um, meaning the weight is about the same, but they just don't tap the same, which means it's not going to sound the same when it's boxed up. Um, so the scramble began with Madagascar, Amazon, Honduran, Panamanian, Yucatan, all these different rosewoods, and they all have a different sound, even when paired with the same tops. Um, sorry, I started talking and I lost the question. The point is, they all do something different. One's not better than the other. But in the scramble to find the replacement, all of a sudden, this whole world of options opened up where if you look on your social media, you'll see people using wild woods. Um, it doesn't mean they're better or worse. They're just different and give a different sound. So the back needs to shake with the top. I just remembered where I was going. Mm -hmm. um, and it's our job to manipulate that so we can handle the tension, but still swing. And so, look, is it is it similar to a drum in that you want the sides to be very stiff with two sort of resonant surfaces either side? Or? Well, that's another part of the design. There's basically two schools of thought on that. Um, the younger builders now are using really thick sides and really thin tops and backs with the idea being what you just said, have a really stiff structure and let the top and back do what they want, um, a supporting structure. We don't do that. We make... Uh, traditional steel string guitars and our sides are really thin. So it's all part of the design. Again, one's not better than the other, but that's how we're, we're approaching this problem. The, at the boutique builder showcase, I think at the NAMM show, I'm a guitar fanatic and I love guitars and guitar builders and, and I love talking shop and every one of the young builders had either laminated sides or extremely, extremely, extremely thick, and uh, all to solve that problem of getting that top and back to shake the way that they want to make it shake and manipulate the sound to what they want to hear. You know, there's, I don't know how many different bracing patterns. We use an X-brace. Not everybody does. Again, trying to manipulate that sound and get that wood to do what they want it to do. And to, are the braces generally made out of the same wood as the top? Uh, yes. For callings, we offer Sitka braces are standard, but we offer an option for Adirondack braces. Um, again, one's not better than the other. It's it's different flavors of what you want. The ad on on the whole, the ad is a little bit stiffer, and so if you're looking for that, if you're looking to make a banjo killer and you want to remake some historic guitar, then you're probably gonna add the Adirondack braces option to your build and, and you'll get the guitar that you think you, you're going to get. And so you sort of said earlier on that, um, the mahogany is your favorite, uh, like yeah. in my, my experience playing 
guitars so far is very much the same. I've, all the guitars I've loved have had I had mahogany back and sides. Um, and what is it that's different about mahogany that the rosewood sort of doesn't do? Mahogany is quite a bit lighter. It has more open pores and has a different flex to it. It's not as stiff and rigid. Um, and so when you build mahogany, you get all of that comes out in your build and you get sort of, to me, the rosewoods are almost punchy and metallic and, and maybe a bit boomy. Um, I'm not a marketer. I don't know these <laughs> terms, so I, I apologize that I'm not describing it correctly. This is just what I hear. The mahoganies have a sweetness to them and I get to hear more wood in those guitars. They're drier. Isn't the right word. Um, to my ear, mahogany is what a guitar sounds like. Um, there's nothing wrong with rosewoods at all. It's if I'm going to sit down and play, I prefer a big body mahogany guitar because I feel like I can hear the wood better. Not this. Help me out here, Matt. Describe no, what I'm trying to. Say. No, I know exactly what you mean. There's something about um, like you hear. I don't know, like classic 70s recordings of acoustic guitars like Don McLean or Neil Young or whoever and they've got D28s and they sound there's a there's a sort of warmth and a big resonance to them and a but if you're going to flat pick a tune of I mean I mean don't get me wrong there's a lot of being like Brian Sutton plays a D28 and anybody would right. give both their arms to sound like that right. just thinking about it in those terms would be foolish because you wouldn't get the benefit but <laughs> but like you know it's as you say with all of this stuff it's Horses for courses and everything's, you know, Brian Sun sounds incredible on a D28. But for me, when I pick up a guitar, there's always just a little bit more cut and a bit more punch and a little bit more poke, if that makes sense, to a mahogany guitar yeah. that just asserts itself slightly more. Yeah. And, and it like depends that. on how you play and your style and, and obviously what you like to hear when you're playing. Um, because five minutes ago, I was just telling you the Holy Grail was Brazilian and ad. And yeah. I would never say no to Brazilian ad, but for the way I play in my style, the mahogany in my ear, the mahogany just suits me better. And and that's true of everything that we're going to talk about as far as wood selection or wood options. We're building, we're a custom shop. So we build the guitar that people want. And so if you're a finger style guy, we'll guide you to the woods that would be best for that. If you have a really light touch, maybe you don't want, a Brazilian ad dreadnought and and most of our customers come to us knowing what they want. But a lot of times they'll say, what's the difference between German spruce and Adirondack other than $350 on my bill. Hmm. And, and so we try to walk them through that. And when I say we, I mean the office, I'm never on these calls. They don't want me answering the phone because <laughs> I have a hard time describing the thing that I do every day, obviously. And, um, and so, like, you know, this in lots of conversations about guitars, this is where the wood conversation stops. It's like we, you talk about spruce, you talk about mahogany, you talk about rosewood, you talk about the top, the back and sides. Um, and one of the things you said last time when we when we talked, you were talking about making the, the custom model for Julian Large. And you talked about trying a whole load of different necks on the same body. And yeah. it, it like sort of slightly foolishly, maybe it hadn't occurred to me that what a difference and it's the you know the neck it's a big lump of wood on a guitar of all the wood in a guitar the neck is a fair percentage of it and of course it makes a difference but it's not something that had even really crossed my mind yeah 
Yeah, the neck is, and I'm sure we talked about this, but uh, I was the neck guy here at Collings for, I don't know, over a decade. And so the neck is every bit as important as the body to the final sound of the guitar. Um, And maybe more complicated to build right, at least for our design. We use a one-way truss rod, which is just a, piece of cold rolled steel that we put into the neck and trap it uh, with the piece of maple. So it's compressed and its job is to fight the tension of the strings. And so uh, it, it's incredibly difficult to make right because it, the goal is at the end, after we do our fret job and sand out and it comes into setup, we have a pleck machine. We want if our frets are 43 thousandths, we want the fleck machine to see 43 thousandths all the way and, and just touch the frets. Uh, by making a one-way truss rod, most people use two-way rods. So it works. It gives you relief and backbone. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Again, it goes back to design. Bill's design was to always keep that neck under tension because a stiff neck allows the body um, similar to the sides conversation we were having. A stiff neck allows the body to do what it wants to do. Um, Julian's design was he didn't want the neck stiff. He wanted everything shaking. He wanted to, uh, he wanted to work to get the sounds out of that guitar. And a stiff neck, the guitar is doing the work for you, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So we have, we have experimented over the years dozens of times with dozens and dozens of variations of internal neck designs. You wouldn't know it looking at it, but internally there, there's been a million different designs going on inside that neck. And, and we would build a body and then try it and then take notes and take it off and try it. And you can hear the difference between a half inch maple filler strip and a quarter inch maple filler strip on the same guitar with the same strings played by the same guy in the same room. You can hear all that stuff. So it comes back to design. Bill has a, an absolutely incredible design um, because he studied the things that didn't work on other guitars as a, when they would come in belly rotation uh, or the next set or any one of number of things he would try to, Fix the things that were wrong with that design or that didn't work as well as they could have. I'm not saying anything's wrong with that design. Um, and so that's what makes a callings a callings is, is, is Bill finding those things and then tweaking them in his own way. Because a dreadnoughts, all dreadnoughts look the same no matter who made them, other than maybe appointments, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But it's what's going on internally. It's the same thing with the neck. Um, so once you get past the internal construction, you also have what material is the fingerboard made out of, what metal content is in the frets, what glue was used to glue in the frets, how does the nut fit, how does the saddle fit, and then what is the next set? Because the next set is another part of the design where you're controlling the tension on the top because the strings want to rotate forward. So... One of the tricky bits about an acoustic guitar is having a top that's stiff enough to fight that rotation, um, 
but excitable enough that you can play it softly or hard and still have all that headroom. Because um, in pure physics, the braces are the physics of a beam. But, you know, I'm going somewhere with this, I think. Let's just go. Uh, but on a guitar, all of a sudden, you have external forces working not straight up or straight down, but in rotation. And so all of this has to work together in a way that the guitar sounds good. So there's a very fine line. You're walking on all of the steps of building an acoustic guitar. And so presumably part of the challenge of building acoustic guitar is to build something light enough to resonate, but solid enough to withstand being able to do that for several years. Yeah. Yeah, we need to trade places. You just said what I was trying to say. <laughs> That's exactly right. And, and we want these things to last forever. And and of course, they they won't last forever because they're not built to. You know, flamenco guitars are built to explode. They're built so light, they're not going to be around in 20 years. There's way more tension on a steel string guitar. And so we do that dance to make sure that it sounds good right now. And it's still going to be a guitar in 20 years, 50 years, and, and hopefully sound even better. And if like if people like that quote-unquote vintage tone, then the guitar needs to last that long to, to produce it. Or does it? Like, it's, yeah. just, you know, it's, it's another it, interesting conversation. That's the question I don't have an answer for. And that's, we're all chasing that same dragon. Um, we want to have that sound of that 1936 D18. How do you make it right now? Well, I can get something that approaches that, but I can't guarantee that it's going to be around forever because I have to build it even lighter um, than they did back then because that guitar's been a guitar for 80 years or 90 mm -hmm. years, whatever the math is. It's been a guitar. The wood's done what the wood's going to do. So, the stiffness to weight ratio we were talking about with the spruce is already gone up since it's been a guitar because the cells have, the wood has undergone a change just by aging hmm. guitar, not guitar that wood is aged. And now it's even stiffer than it was than the day they built it because that stuff's broken down. So the stiffness to weight ratio has gone up without having to do anything. And and, and that's not everybody's trying to build pre-war guitars, but that is the challenge is to build something now that can approach that, but still be bomb proof, relatively speaking. Yeah. And then that sort of leads on to what we touched on earlier, really, is that one of the one of the approaches people have made to that is to treat the woods, to try and replicate that right. aging. And I don't know if all of these are necessarily the same thing, but you, you read about baked wood. Um, torrified wood. Eastman calls it thermocured. I think Martin calls it like VTS. Like there's lots of, I, yes, I presume yeah. they're all essentially the same thing. It's a, it's a process of baking the wood to dry out. Yes. It's different. It's different terms for the same thing. If you hear me say baked, we call it baked here, but it's torrified. Uh, torrefaction is a process and I'm not an expert in this. I know as much as anybody, um, but it's a process where they, they take the wood and put it in a kiln and they, in an anaerobic environment. So they take the oxygen out of the kiln, heat it up in an effort to 
get the sap and the oils out of the wood to mimic the effects of a hundred years of aging on the wood. Um, it breaks down the hemicellulose in the wood, which is a sugar in the wood, which is, gives it that golden brown color. It actually bakes the sugars out or, or some of them and crystallizes the resins and the oils in there. And after it's torrified, the wood is incredibly light and incredibly stiff. Uh, it gives, a, to my ears, my opinion, it gives a different sound than the wood would have had when it went in to get torrified. Um, again, talking about the spruce, you're always talking about strength to weight. It's incredibly strong because it weighs 25% less than when it went in, something like that. The pros of torrefaction are... Uh, it gives a beautiful color. You put a beautiful burst on it because you're starting with this kind of tannish brown palette. Um, the bursts look incredible. As a production guy, it can be hard because it's very brittle. And when you go to route for binding or purfling, it's chippy. Uh, if you put your fingernail in it, you can't steam it out. Uh, so it it changes the wood from what it was to something new. And as they come through, we treat them differently. We voice them differently uh, because it is different. And it gives to my ears a very pure, glassy, fast response. Uh, it's, a, it, it's its own thing. It's different. Um, it's not better or worse, but it, it, it is different. And okay. people love it. And when we make a couple a week, you know, it hasn't gone away. And presumably like the result of, of changing the wood in that way over the course of a few hours versus a few decades, like it's, you know, just, I'm, I'm certainly no scientist, but like it can, it can only be a slightly different thing, um, even if it approximates some of the same effect. Yeah, and and there's different people doing the baking, and so there's there's different results on the on the bakes. So there's light bakes, there's dark bakes. Um, I don't have the benefit of knowing what went in. I only see it. We don't do any baking. I buy this stuff already done. Mm. Um, so I don't have the benefit of knowing what it felt like going in, only what arrives to our doorstep and I get to process. Uh, it's, it's different. If you closed your eyes and I handed you two pieces of wood, you would be able to know the difference where, where you, you might not otherwise, if that makes sense. It, it radically changes it. And, and again, not in a good way or a bad way. Some people love the way they sound and other people opt for something different. Um, yeah, it's funny. I, you know, I went into a guitar store in London this week and I played two new identical Eastmans. And well, I mean, you say like no two guitars are identical. Like they might be made by different people. There's certain elements on Eastmans that are definitely handmade. Um, but to all, to all intents and purposes, same spec. And one had, 
the Torrified top and one didn't. And I was presuming to like the Torrified version more. And I didn't. I preferred the, the standard version. And then I also played another one, which was a used version. It did have a Torrified top, which I preferred to either of the other two. So, it, you know, it's very much yeah. like you were saying that, you know, it's all, there is no, there are no total hard and fast rules in any of this. No, and that's the beauty. That's the beauty of an acoustic guitar. And, and that's the challenge here is trying to, uh, to replicate what we've done before for the guy that played one in St. Louis and wants to order one of his own with all of these variables, we have to deliver a guitar that plays and feels the same as the one that he heard four years ago in St. Louis. Um, that's what keeps it exciting for us because acoustic guitars are, are hard to make. And as long as we've been doing it, there's still challenges every day through every part of the process which is great and it's uh, it'll make you crazy <laughs> and we're always still trying to tweak and, and get better and more efficient and in all the things a business would do but as guitar builders that's what keeps us coming back is all these little variables if you change one of them which i'm assuming happened to the eastman that you liked and not the other eastman some variable was different and um my job is to remove those variables so you get the Eastman that you liked, or in my case, a Collins. But uh, so every week we start 20 acoustic guitars and they might have, I mean, they're going to be 20 completely different guitars. So it starts with the wood selection and then just feeling it, flexing it, tapping it all to get to the same end result a couple months later. Yeah, yeah. There's 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 something I want to come on to about um about like alternative woods, but just like popped into my head talking about this. One of the one of the things that is very personal to how people relate to playing guitar is the shape of the neck. Like some people yeah. like quite a shallow neck, some like a very sort of you know clubby neck. Some people like something in between. Um, but presume like I've always thought of that as being a comfort and a preference thing. But presumably that sort of can radically affect the sound of the guitar as well. Well, you'd be removing maps. Uh, I wouldn't say radically because the internals are doing the radical change for you. What's inside the neck is doing it. You'll be removing maps and changing the balance on your lap, but I can't close my eyes and tell you that is a thin C and that is a fat V. Um, what's going on inside that neck is making more of a difference. Gotcha. And that the fit sense. of the neck is there wood to wood contact? Who, how is the neck fit with the angle of the set? How is the, all of the other things that go into it? Um, I don't know that my ear is good enough to hear a difference between a standard and an inch and three quarter or a one in yeah. 11 sixteenths or a one in 13 sixteenths. Uh, all things being the same, I don't think, uh, I don't think you'd hear the difference. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Um, so the thing that I wanted to come on to, so we've talked a little bit about um, the standard woods that people use and some of the challenges with, you know, wood is, I, I, you know, you said last time we spoke, wood is incredibly expensive now and some wood is very hard yeah. to get. And so you have yeah. you have sort of a couple of options to explore. And I'd really like to talk about both a little bit. And one is to find alternative woods, which we've touched on already, like alternative varieties of the same species or just alternatives completely. And the other yep. one is to find alternative sources of the same woods. And there's things like, you know, there's 
people talk about sinker wood, people talk about reclaimed wood, and there is wood yeah. out there in some form that doesn't need to be harvested. That is yeah. still potentially suitable. And that is the wave of the future because the trees, the, I mean, the, if you take mahogany, for example, uh, it's getting harder to ethically source the mahogany and the trees are younger and a younger tree means the grain direction isn't quite as good as you would want. And then the mineral content, they're growing really fast. Um, isn't the same. So it gives you a ropier, spongier piece of mahogany than the stuff that we had 20 years ago. And so everybody um, is searching for alternatives. And it goes back to the Brazilian. People scrambled for it, looking for the next big thing. Well, it turns out their Indian rosewood was its direct replacement because it's plentiful. Um, it's sustainable. But the stuff that we're getting isn't cut down. It's already down. And I think that's the same pretty much industry-wide. Um, organizations like CITES and the Lacey Act are, are going a long ways to protecting that as well. So this scrambles on not just to find alternatives, but sustainable. All the buzzwords that you would want. Um, for, for my intents and purposes is to to find something that I can get repeatedly. Um, from a marketing point of view, it's the right thing to do. Um, and it has all the right buzzwords and key phrases. But it, it's interesting to play around with, we've made some sinker mahogany that was from the British colonization of Belize. The, they would cut the logs, float them down the river, some of the logs would sink. People have gone down there, and there's a lot of logs down there, brought them up, and it's old-growth mahogany. Um, from all those years underwater, it's sort of changed the character of the mahogany into something different. And so that's fun for us. It's beautiful stuff. It's old-growth, and it makes a nice guitar. So there's also, on tops, there has been... the. So we sent a reclaimed set of Sitka tops to the Chicago show, the Fretboard Journal Guitar Show. One of those is, tops is in the gear of the year from Acoustic Guitar Magazine. It sounds great, it looks funky, and it's old growth. And this tree has been dead for decades and decades and decades and decades, and now we're we're recycling it and it not a gimmick. It makes a beautiful guitar top for all the reasons that that big tops have, but it happened naturally. And so it feels different. Um, torrified tops can sometimes feel like, like the winter grains or are extremely hard and almost skeletonized, if that makes any sense. Like they're they're incredibly stiff and crispy and the reclaimed wood the oil's gone the sap's crystallized the hemicellulose is broken down just naturally they feel different and as a result they sound different again not better not worse different and so we've been playing around with these there's not so far um i have two suppliers for them from two very 
different sorts of instances, but I'm getting tops now from bridges, from fish traps, um, mm-hmm. from Alaska, uh, from floating logging camps. They were the buoyancy logs for the floating camps that got dismantled in the nineties were probably spent decades underwater and now they're sawing them up and it's beautiful topwood. It's not lily white and straight and pure. It's funky and old and has a vibe to it. And so we've been playing with that for the last, Oh, year or so. And, uh, it's really interesting because they do sound, they do sound different. Again, back to the strength to weight ratio. They're stiffer. The stuff is broken down. And so as a result, they're lighter and, and they've just got a beautiful flex to them. I'm, I'm talking very nicely about this wood because I love it. And, uh, I have a special spot in my heart for it. And I hope our customers accept it and it looks like they will. Um, but it's fun to play with this stuff because it's now we just added a different flavor to our options list. It's not add, it's not Engelman, it's something different. It's Sitka, but it's different than Sitka, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And you sort of saying that the, the appearance, like it looks funky. Is that a color thing? Is it a grain thing? Is it a. Uh, it, so I have some that are yellow. I have some that are blue. I have some that are gray. I have some that have red streaks in them. Um, and I have some that just sort of look dirty. Uh, I can't tell you why. It's whatever happened to that tree. Uh, I'm not even going to make up a story about why that happened. Uh, but, you know, it, it's got a whole different vibe. And, and I feel good using it. I still love using everything else. It's just fun to have a new addition to the lineup. It gives you just a different shade of tone, of volume. Of It's just a little bit different, and it's enough different that it's fun to play with. And so presumably, um, given that like we talked at the top of this about, about a fairly narrow sphere of guitar, styles that you talk about when you talk about bluegrass talk about dreadnoughts it's one body shape it's you know three or four woods and that's about it um not that people don't use it but that is largely the conversation and so presumably sort of perception and re-educating people is a big part of this conversation as well because you know people are used to seeing really clean white spruce tops but at the same time you look at a 1930s martin dreadnought and a lot of them are yellow and beaten up and scratched and they look amazing And people are yeah. doing that to new guitars now to try and make them look yeah. like that anyway. So, yeah, it's a great effect. Like our friend Alistair's doing that, and his guitars are gorgeous. Um, it, it's all about the vibe. And uh, I was afraid that our customers wouldn't accept anything other than like the perfection. If you close your eyes and imagine the most beautiful at top, that's what they want. And and a lot of them do because that's what they're paying for. But a lot of them are willing to experiment and try something different and, and trust us to make them a great guitar. And, and that's the fun of it. And, and then experimenting. Every guitar sounds different. I mean, we've talked about wood choices on a dreadnought, but then there's OM. 
and then there's the one short scale, and then there's double O fourteen and single O, and on and on and on and on and yeah. on, and all of those different shapes give you a different sound, and then you add the wood combinations to that, and there's just a there's so many choices that we can tailor it to your style or your desires of what you want the guitar to look like or sound like. Um, and that's kind of the fun of this partially the torified, partially this reclaimed stuff. Um, we're just adding another option to an already endless option list and, and just giving them a couple degrees of separation. And in all honesty, if you've got a dreadnought, that's rosewood and you've got your mahogany OM, you're set. Well, now <laughs> there's something else, man. You got to try it. Yeah, yeah. Well, guitarists definitely aren't the kind of people who like to buy one guitar and then stick with it for life. Yeah, yeah. And they always have their go-to. And my goal is to make that guitar that sits right next to them. I want that to be their go-to. And we will make whatever you want. We will tailor all these choices to what you say you want and try to make the best thing that we can. And, and again, that's the fun of it. But having these new options allows us, gives us a couple new tools to, to help them get that one, their dream guitar. And, and they've trusted us enough with this reclaim stuff that people are ordering it. And, and, there's some out there now and they're really well received. So I'm, I'm super excited about it. That's really cool. Um, and like presumably there just are like logistics and truths and facts about being a guitar manufacturer in the modern world that there aren't endless supplies of the woods people want. And there aren't, you know, there's, there are going to be harder and harder conversations about how many new guitars the world needs. And if we can reuse existing wood to make some of those. Well, and, and not, I probably shouldn't even bring it up, but China has a booming middle class and they are making guitars, man. Uh, so many, so many, so many guitars and a lot of that woods going over there, which means my supply, which was already scarce, got scarcer. And so the scramble to find good stuff, it, it's always a challenge sourcing wood. And, uh, you know, People are accepting things that aren't 100% aesthetically perfect looking now that they weren't 20 years ago when I started. And I remember when we stopped grading ebony um, for all the right reasons. I didn't think the community, the guitar community, would accept ebony that wasn't black. And I haven't heard one complaint from anybody that there's some brown in my ebony um, because they were cutting down ebony trees, opening up. If they weren't black, they were just left to rot there on the floor. And, and I really thought there was going to be a public outcry from the guitar community. No, 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 this doesn't even, there hasn't been any. And my fears were the same with this reclaim. And, and it's been really well accepted. Um, Torrified was not our, we weren't at the front of the Torrified top. Uh, our customers started demanding it. So we're asking for it. And so we started supplying it. Um, it, the industry's very accepting now compared to what it was 20 years ago. And so it makes, 
sourcing wood a little easier um, because I know if they'll trust me if I tell them it's good. And so that makes my job, I'm not going to say easy, easier. Uh, and it's great that they trust us to, to give them the stuff. We're not going to put out a guitar we're not proud of. And they know that. And so it allows the guitar makers to make the right guitar, no matter what it looks like. And do you sort of feel like, because um, obviously there are, you know, endless other varieties of trees out there. Do you feel like that, um, that has been sort of fully explored in terms of other trees that might have similar properties? Uh, I don't know because uh, when I'm looking around, there's always a new flavor that I haven't heard of before that has hit one or two of the guys that I, we have dozens of wood vendors um, because they don't always have what I'm looking for at the right time. And, and we have great relationships with these guys. And for the past several years, there's always something new that I haven't heard of. And so I don't think we're at the end of that rainbow yet. I think there's still opportunities out there. Um, will they ever be the new Brazilian? I don't think so. But, you know, Cocobolo is available and it makes a fine guitar. And the same is true of maybe Sycamore, maybe who knows that I haven't experimented with or we as a company haven't. We always like to try new things and I'll grab a couple flavors of the month and just try them. Um, so I think, I think there's still more out there, but again, I'm not all the coma that people are using has already been cut the same with the Indian. Um, obviously the sinker mahogany. Now there's sinker primavera on the market. Um, there's always new flavors. And if we, can do it sustainably, uh, I'm all for it. You know, yeah, no plug. And it's really interesting just the idea that there might be stuff out there. I might have no idea what the historic uses of spruce and mahogany and rosewood are, but that there might be stuff out there that currently knows how to be a great piece of wood but just hasn't worked out that it's a guitar yet. Oh, there's, you always hear, I always hear stories about somebody finding somebody's kitchen table that's made out of Brazilian or, uh, a friend of mine found uh, a conference table made out of the tree, you know, the tree, the tree, he found a conference table made out of it. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, there's always new finds and things that are already existing that we just have to resaw and turn into a guitar. So there's that side of it. And then there's the side of, well, what happens if we try this Australian wood that nobody's tried, which happened with, you know, uh, what is it? The black wood. I can't remember. We used a couple sets. We're always trying whatever's around. And, and if it works great and if it doesn't, okay. And sometimes we'll touch a piece of wood and know that that's not a guitar wood. Um, Unfortunately, we're in Texas where we don't have huge, tall trees that grow. We have <laughs> shorter, more arid, loving trees. So there's nothing around here that I can really experiment with outside of mesquite or royal ebony. So I have to get on the Internet and do my searches. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's cool just that 
just even that amount of stuff we talked about, just the, the kind of the range of of options and things people have on their sort of menu when they want to order a guitar, but the amount of just different style. It's, it's, you, you read back and it's, it's so often that, you know, you read the history of Martin guitars or whatever, and a particular thing just becomes the thing for like, sometimes no apparent reason, sometimes for very good reason. And then once the thing is the thing, it remains so, the thing. And it's, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's a reason Brazilian was the thing for as long as it was. Um, there's a reason Adirondack was a thing for as long as it was. Uh, if you're a fingerstyle player, you probably don't love that combination. But if you're a bluegrass guy, you probably do. Um, it There's so many more styles, scale lengths, all everything for acoustic guitar out now uh, that somebody's going to find the perfect combination for themselves. And that's, that's the takeaway really is the scale length, the sample size, what material is the bridge made out of the, what are the braces made out of? What angle are they? How tall, you know, all that stuff comes into play, but every builder has their own flavor and and there's something for everybody that's not better or worse than that Brazilian ad combination. There is no Holy Grail anymore. We're all, we're all doing the best we can with the materials that we have and constantly innovating and sourcing new stuff, which is what's exciting about this reclaim and the Torified. As a, as a, just a, you know, a player of guitars, it's, it never ceases to amaze me how, a guitar you pick up and play, whether it's in a shop or somebody else you know has it or wherever, like so often the ones that you just keep coming back to and picking up aren't necessarily the ones that on paper you think you would. And they're right. not, or something that you think is going to be amazing just leaves you cold, even though it's beautiful or something that is really average can just make you want to play it. Yeah. It's I'm telling you there's magic to an acoustic guitar and it's true that they have to turn into guitars. I try, I play, first thing I do when I come into the shop is play all the guitars that got set up the day before. Um, I take notes on all my tops and backs and I just want to keep reinforcing uh, my learning curve. And, and so the first thing I do with fresh ears when I come in is take all the guitars off the rack one at a time and I have my little thing that I do. So I'm comparing apples to apples. Um, your brain says, oh, I see that guitar shape. I know what this guitar is going to sound like with that wood combination. And, and it's amazing that one out of a hundred just speaks to you. You know, like is they're all great guitars, but there's that one that has that thing that you love. Um, and I love it when that happens because you don't want to put it down. And it's the same guitar shopping. Yeah, I like this one. You can look at the the prices on all of them. And if you get the most expensive, you might not get the one that you like the best. The one that you like the best and you connect with might be 500 bucks. Uh, there's magic in acoustic guitars. Once they're strung up, we let them sit for a day so they can kind of settle and turn into guitars. And then we do the final setup and, and turn them in. I'll play them that day, and then if they're still around in a week, I'll play them again in a week, and I swear they're different. 
And then I swear they're different a month after they've been to their new home and have been played. And they just get better and better and better and better because they turn into what they're supposed to be. That's magic. I don't know how else to explain it. When I first started playing mandolin, I remember people talking about instruments opening up and thinking, yeah, okay, whatever. And um, But the mandolin I have now, like if it sits in my case for a while because I've been playing guitar and I pick it up and play it, it sounds okay. And after an hour, even just after an hour of, you know, it remembers what it is, or maybe partly it's just that I remember and I play it better. But, you know, it's, I notice the difference really quickly. No, there's been studies. There's uh, There are tools now that you can attach to the bridge of your guitar, and I can't think of the name of it, but I, I watched several YouTube videos on it, and they did a very scientific study where they excited the frequency spectrum of the guitar Um this thing vibrates the top very slightly. It makes it hum, basically. And they measured the decibels at the beginning, and then they came back. And after four hours, the decibel, the amount of noise coming out of the guitar had increased just by the guitar being a guitar and being moved. So I always thought I heard that. The guy that taught me, Bruce Van Wart, had a Brazilian slope shoulder that he would play and I would swear after 15 minutes of him playing it, it warmed up. And I thought that was just me and it, it still could be, but according to these bridge things, these things break in and warm up. I mean, I can't pretend to understand any of that um, because I'm the guy that says they're magic. But, but at, the same, at the same time earlier on, I can't remember what the number you said was. You said, you know, you said, oh, I don't know everything. I've made around 1,200 tops or something, whatever it was, yeah. the number you said was, which is obviously 1,200 more than I've made. Um, and I think that's that's the thing is you can you can measure stuff, you can document stuff, you can make stuff identical, you can spec sheet stuff to your heart's content. But sometimes you just pick up an instrument and you like it and it speaks yeah. to you. And yeah, just want to take it home, and that's it. Yeah, and and that's that's the fun of it all. And if I can, if I can promote our company a little bit, the when you said I've done twelve hundred, the guy replaced it thirty thousand. Wow! So I mean, forget about it. And and he did it all using his senses with his fingers and in his ears and and his intuition and now for the smaller builders technology's advanced to a place well in some of the bigger builders they're using fft's and 48 fast transports they're using it's an app on your phone it's it measures resonance and so it's a it shows you a little graph of the peak and everything for the guys that don't have a benefit of doing a thousand a year this is how they're building to get the same thing. What was interesting is I'm always trying to learn. So I dove into this FFT thing, not to change the way we build guitars, but to quantify what we were doing. And the interesting thing is what Bruce set up and Bill and this process and the way that we make them, there's a sweet spot for the, the resonance of the cavity for a big body. They want it to be 89 Hertz I get the FFT on my phone. I'm learning how to use it. I'm tapping. We're there. That's what, that's what we already do. And it's based on 
Bruce and Bill's design and their experience in years of touching these things and having the intuition to make the guitar, it, it's just incredible. And then to have that passed on to me from, you know, my heroes is, is incredible. So I can't pretend like I know anything. I learned from these guys. And like I said, the 1200 is nothing compared to, to these guys. So take what I say for just what it is. It's one guy's opinion. Um, but we're on the right track. And I love it all because it's, you know, it is magic at the end of the day is for all the, like you can geek out about this stuff. We talked about quite a lot of detail in some places here, but it's, but it is just a feeling at the end. And then you go and give that instrument to Julian Large or Bob Minow or whoever, and then yeah. the magic really kicks in. And yeah, you know, that's what, that's what means people like us and people listening to this love talking about this stuff because it is, it isn't just like train spotting or sports stats. It's like, it's some of that. And we like about that as well. And that's great. But it is also just, it's, it's emotional and it's like, it's, there's a feeling and there's some magic and some, something undefinable. You can't pin down on a piece of paper. Well, and as a, as a builder, um, we talked about it a little bit between our last two talks, but I get lost in the callings bubble of making the perfect thing. And then I go to the IBMAs and I get to hear Bob Minner or Jake Workman or, or this guy who I don't know playing these guitars. Um, they're not worried about the things that I'm worried about. They want the guitar to do what the guitar is supposed to do. And then seeing them do that is a whole nother level beyond anything that we've talked. We can talk about the fit of the X-Race all day, these guys don't care about that. Does the guitar do what it's supposed to do? And in hearing them put these things, they're tools for these guys. For me, it's a personal thing. Um, for these guys, they're tools that they, they go to work with. I'm not saying they don't love their guitars, but that's how they make their living. And to see them interacting with them in a way that I can't, I can't even fathom, and I don't think about on a day-to-day basis, I'm thinking about the guitar when I'm here, not the player at the end. I want to, I want the player to be happy, obviously, but I have to make the best guitar that I can for them. They're taking it and then looking at it from 180 degrees different perspective. Uh, fascinating industry. And again, it's magic for them too. Yeah. And I won't say magic, you know, I promise. <laughs> But that, that's, the, that's the bit that never goes away. And that's sort of the bit that we all share. And I think that's sort of what you talk about, um, like about you never know it all. And it's it's a constantly evolving learning process. And it remains a kind of uh, a little dance of creativity and curiosity till the end for everybody. Like, you know, the, the whether it's great builders or the great players or whoever, it's it never loses that fascination. And that's what makes it the kind of thing that I'm, delighted to be able to spend my evenings talking about it with people and I just, you know want to thank you for taking the time again to come and talk to me about this stuff because you know it's it's an absolute treat for me and i'm sure for everybody listening to it uh, man i love talking to you you make it so easy uh i hope you got something out of it i hope i you said everything i said better than i said it you don't need me for this <laughs> i will try it next time on my own and see what happens i don't think it's going to be anywhere near as interesting for the listeners <laughs> 
We'll reverse it. <laughs> you can interview me about what I know about guitars. It shouldn't take long. Yeah, there you go. Between the two of us, we're a mess. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks so much. Good to see you again. Hey, my pleasure, man. Thank you. Bluegrass Jamalong is proud to be sponsored by Collings Guitars and Mandolins, making some of the finest guitars and mandolins in the world since the 1970s. Visit collingsguitars.com and find out why.